Hello, and welcome to RBC Disruptors. I'm John Stackhouse. I don't know about you, but lately, whenever I've been watching Netflix, I haven't felt entirely comfortable with all the recommendations they've been serving up. Now, I get it. Some of them are probably being pushed on me for commercial reasons. And those algorithms are probably trying to predict my own choices, which are not entirely predictable. But increasingly, I'm wondering if maybe some of those algorithms are also running a bit amok themselves, maybe reflecting some of the biases, not by me, the viewer, but by the people who coded the whole system. You've probably been hearing a lot lately about bias in AI. It's an important conversation that we need to have. And it's why today we're bringing you a special episode of RBC Disruptors. We're calling it AI for Good, because we really do believe that if we can iron out some of these biases, artificial intelligence can do a lot of good for society and for all of our communities. To talk about this, I'm joined today by Fotini Agrafiotti. Fotini is Chief Science Officer here at RBC and the head of Borealis AI, our research institute focused on artificial intelligence and machine learning. She was also named recently as co-chair, along with Joshua Bengio, of the federal government's Advisory Council on Artificial Intelligence. Fotini, welcome to RBC Disruptors. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. It's great to see you. I wonder if we can go back to the beginning, Fotini, at least in terms of your life story. You've got a fascinating journey, both to Canada and into the world of AI. Maybe start first with your own background and how you came to Toronto. Sure. I started off my career in academia in Greece. I was born and raised in Greece. I studied electrical engineering, and at the end of it, I decided to pursue graduate studies at the University of Toronto. And when I ended up at U of T, I joined a group that does research in biometric security. So they would look at things like human authentication using your face, your fingerprint, your iris. And I was excited about that research because it's very, very science fiction. That's how I started my journey in AI. Maybe I can pause here and ask a dumb question. What is artificial intelligence? AI is a very new type of technology, although the term is very old. Today, AI is synonymous to machine learning that can operate at the same intellectual capacity and level as a human. It's different from traditional data modeling, data science, statistical analysis, in that the latter will take historical data process that and find interesting insights from that. But AI, what it does, it will, it will create a, a system that can autonomously make decisions without any human intervention. So that sounds fantastic when I think about finding my way home tonight. I can just plug into Google and because of AI, it will show me the most efficient and effective way for me to get to where I want to go. Give us a sense of how pervasive AI is today. We all know about the mapping example or the Netflix recommendations example. Machine learning systems have been around for a very long time. And the systems are constantly being updated with state-of-the-art algorithms. Whether you're on Amazon and you're buying products and something's recommended to you there, or on Netflix, the example you just gave, uh, that's a machine learning algorithm in the background. Healthcare diagnostics, there are so many applications of machine learning already in that space, as well as new drug discovery, spectroscopy, even in security and analyzing surveillance video uh, or biometric security. Anywhere you deal with real-world data, 
and you're trying to make sense of that. One way or another, a form of AI is used. Sundar Pichai, the CEO of Google, said AI is more powerful as a technology than fire or electricity. Now, that's a catchy line. I'm not so sure, though. Is it really that significant in terms of technologies that have changed the course of humanity to be compared to fire and electricity? Well, I certainly think that this is a very strong statement, especially because we understand fire. And at the time that it was discovered, we understood it. And we understood electricity as well. We didn't know immediately where and how broadly it would be applied, but we understood it. Artificial intelligence, I, I really don't think we yet know what it actually means. And it's proven to work on some very specific, narrow tasks, potentially helping humans that would be traditionally performing these tasks. But it hasn't yet got to the level where it would fulfill its promise as autonomous decision-making in any environment. Not only are we not there, we do not even understand what steps we need to take in order to get there. We don't know how to formulate what humans do when they do high-level reasoning in a way that we can then mathematically represent it as a problem for machine learning to learn. And so when we worry about jobs and, and losses, I would not uh, jump into hysteria so quickly. The jobs are evolving constantly. Technology is impacting them. It's affecting how we work day to day. It's affecting all aspects of our lives anyway. Of course, it makes its way into how we work. And it's automation a lot of the time, what is impacting it the most right now. Not all of that attributed to artificial intelligence. In fact, a small portion of that, I would say, attributed to AI. And so I wouldn't pin that on, on AI already. It fascinates me and concerns me how much hysteria can be whipped up over the possible impact of AI. You often hear or see references about half of all jobs out there are going to be eliminated in the next few years because of AI. There's actually no empirical data or rational line of thinking to carry out that argument. Best we can tell, up to half of jobs will be impacted in terms of the skills that are needed because of AI. The jobs themselves won't be eliminated. In fact, we're seeing more and more jobs created, which is why uh, one of the reasons the unemployment rate is uh, so low. And this is true of technology waves and technology revolutions through history. They always lead to more jobs in aggregate, not less. They lead to better outcomes for humanity in aggregate. Of course, there are specific impacts that should be of concern. And concern should be our watchword, but not fear. So how, how do we turn the conversation to one more of concern and invested interest and away from one of fear when it comes to AI? Well, I think AI is having a PR crisis altogether. Surely there's an algorithm that can fix that, no? Yes, but that algorithm would have to have an intent, and we're not building AI this way. <laughs> Job losses is, I think, where it, it started. It, originally, just a question that was paused, and then overreaction around that. In the last year, we, we saw biases surface in AI systems. We've had many missteps in the tech industry. I think these issues take priority over the 
undefined, not well understood prediction of what AI could do to jobs. Because everything I've seen and we see in the bank right now is that it's a very complementary relationship between the human and the machine. I'll give you an example, John. One of the technologies that we've built at RBC, and it's a brand new capability that we developed thanks to the evolution of artificial intelligence is the ability to process news in real time in any language and clear out the noise, isolate information that is important for our analysts and financial advisors to read. We humans cannot do that part effectively. We are limited by our capacity. We're limited by fatigue, uh, how fast we can read information, the languages we speak. And that is okay. Unfortunately, there's though a lot of information out there and a lot of things uh, and events, world events, are seemingly disconnected from the stuff you're interested in, but you still want to know about it if it's important. And so this is what the machine is good at. The machine is really good at processing large amounts of data and preparing that, digesting that, and making that first line of assessment about what is important, what is not. And when it thinks it makes a good prediction to serve that to you to read it, how you act on that information, how you speak to your clients, how you customize your product or uh, your services, it's, it's completely up to the human analyst or advisor to perform. It's just a machine that makes their lives easier every day, makes sure they're well-informed. But synthesizing that information with everything else they know about the world, the context they have, the relationships they have with their clients, that's all for the human to do and will always be for the human to do. We've got a clip here from Jordan Kirakidis. Like you, someone who made the leap from research to business. Here's Jordan. I am CEO and co-founder of QRA Corp. And we are a design verification company. We mainly focus on making sure that self-driving cars can be built safely. I would say one concern I, I have is the discourse that I see around AI. People tend to oversimplify. You have these you know, pro-technology people that says, bring on the revolution. We welcome our robot overlords. It's going to be good. It's going to be fantastic. Let's just charge ahead and do it just because technology is always good. And then you have another argument, which is almost like the Luddite argument. It's like, no, it's terrible. You know, we shouldn't do it. We should stop and take stock first before we do anything. Fotini, you're the co-chair of the new National Advisory Council on AI here in Canada. What do you hope it will accomplish? Well, there's three areas where the council is focused on right now. The first is around AI education in Canada. Not so much about training, though. By education, I mean primarily explaining how AI works, what it is, what change it can bring to our society, and raising awareness around that. That is number one. Number two is responsible use of artificial intelligence. We're looking at ethical application of AI, especially in collaboration with France. And we're also focusing a lot on commercialization. Really, the Council has been tasked with the problem of Canada has led the way scientifically. We have to make sure this creates value here. How do we ensure that Canadian companies, big or small, take advantage of that innovation in Canada. It's interesting that so much work is being done between the so-called middle powers of AI, like Canada and France, as you mentioned. 
How concerned should we be about the concentration of scientific knowledge and development in the two superpowers, the United States and China? Where does that leave the rest of us? I am personally concerned with the concentration of talent, not just between two countries, but between a few companies. Uh, it's important to understand that this is a very niche community. There is very few people that do artificial intelligence. Most of them are concentrated within a few American and Chinese companies, and that's what I think is mostly concerning. The big nine, I think, the nine companies, nine corporations that own AI. I'm not too concerned about uh, misuse, especially in North America, I think, all of these tech companies, they, their heart is in the right place and they'll find the right way to deploy AI. I'm worried about the opportunities we missed because we focused way too much on problems like advertising and entertainment and gaming and to solving specific problems that the tech industry is interested in. Yet the big premise here is for, for healthcare, for climate, transportation as well. This is where uh, I think we, we're at risk of missing opportunities. So you refer to The Big Nine. Uh, that's the title of a book by Amy Webb, who's a professor at New York University, and she examines six American companies and three Chinese companies who really dominate the state of AI research right now, certainly on the commercial side in the world. And I wonder how much of a concern this really should be, because isn't science science? Aren't they just pursuing the rational answers to questions and whether they're doing it at Google and Microsoft or at NASA or DARPA or some government agency or in Israel or, or Canada, they'll get the same outcome if it's a rational pursuit? No, you're not going to get the exact same outcome. The challenges in human radiology that are really prime for application of AI are not going to be addressed or solved adequately unless the community obsesses about those particular challenges. This is why AI is not straightforward and you cannot just plug and play and use it in your business. It's because there is always a research step. You have some indication of how similar problems to yours have been solved elsewhere. And you have a scientific paper that perhaps shows you a mathematical formula for how to approach that problem. But your data, your environment, your constraints are very unique. And at the end of the day, an MRI image is different than a real-world photograph. The fundamentals of what you're trying to do with it are similar. And yes, if I get a publication from Google about image processing, I could apply that knowledge in MRIs, but that doesn't mean that that problem is rendered solved. That needs attention from AI researchers. So if I'm an oil company and trying to figure out a better, more carbon-efficient way to produce oil, I can't just go buy an algorithm or borrow an algorithm from Google and apply it to my data set? It's no. not that simple? No, it's not. And there's no general algorithm that can be applied to any data and it will give you optimal solutions. Any statistician would tell you that every data problem is unique. No two data sets in the world are ever identical. They can have similar properties perhaps sometimes, but that can only be an initial guideline for how you should approach the problem. You've got to build custom solutions to your individual problems. 
This this is literally why in our space we decided to build this capability in-house in our company because we think that our problems require special attention that is customized to that particular space. So we've been talking a lot about the biases that are out there, understandable, most of them. So we've got a clip here from Natalie Cartwright, one of the members of your advisory council. She's the co-founder and COO of FinAI in Vancouver. We're starting to see a lot more attention being given to the space from businesses, but also from government, from regulation. Canada hosted the G7 meeting on ethical AI in December, which I had the privilege of attending. So there's more people in general who are interested in how we ensure that we build the world that we want as we move into an AI-first world. How are you managing those conversations or even starting those conversations at FinAI? When we're looking at our natural language processing engine, we're giving consideration to what's coming out and looking to see if we are, in fact, having any bias. We had our first instance of potentially having some bias in our German language bot the other day where we had someone from East Germany say, this doesn't understand me because I'm from a different place. So how do you make sure that you're looking out for those types of things that come into play, which we'd never anticipated in our system before? And I think the answer is it's something that we have to actively manage for. So I think one of the misconceptions I sometimes hear is that we should only use AI if it doesn't have any bias. And that's not realistic. Unfortunately, many of the data systems that we start with have bias in them, which means that lots of our prediction machines and outcomes will also be biased. So yes, there's a chance that we have bias in these machines. What is important is, is the bias less or more than the gold standard? And if we can reduce the bias, we should. And I think one of the things that's really fundamental when we think about using AI or machine learning is what will happen is we get a prediction about should someone get a mortgage or should we give this person more credit? And there always has to be a human who's responsible for looking at the prediction and deciding is this something that we want to use or not. The decision never lies ultimately with the machine. There's a human who has to understand it, who has to have looked at the underlying factors and who's ultimately accountable and responsible for that decision. So Futini, what should we be thinking about as individuals in terms of battling bias? What can we do? Well, bias is an extremely difficult problem to solve. You need to go back to the fundamentals, ensure that your data is clean of that bias, that it's been collected in a transparent way that's including of all the populations. And that's a, a very expensive and very long process for most companies because they are right now using data that have been collected over decades of usage of their products. That would be number one. Detecting bias is an area that's very prominent in the research community right now, building systems that act as a second layer of defense that would go in and see whether the system is likely to make decision A more often than decision B. And these are the checks that we can have in place so that we know what our systems are likely to do in the real world. And so being open, understanding where biases lie, documenting those, and then, of course, having the right business practices around that. I wish that technology can solve everything, but it's usually business practice that needs to be robust and in place if a system misbehaves. There's also the challenges around explainability that are parallel to this. So the challenge often starts with the data set. Who should be involved in ensuring that the data set is as unbiased as possible? You said it's too big for 
the science community. If I'm, say, running a hospital or involved in a healthcare community that's trying to apply AI to a data set, who all needs to be involved in scrubbing that data set to ensure it's unbiased? Well, the problem is that nobody has been tasked with the responsibility of unbiased data when data sets were being originally collected. Something that's important to uh, point out here is that the scientific community uses specific data sets to test machine learning algorithms. And we all use the same data sets. So these are benchmark data sets so that you can establish a method and compare it. Those weren't collected with any concern over bias because it wasn't visible at the time that was being collected and AI wasn't good enough to pick up on whatever was collected later on. So it didn't really become a problem until now. So if you're building a data set from scratch right now, tasking somebody with that sole responsibility of ensuring that you cover a good breadth of uh, representation in your data is, is extremely important. You mentioned explainability. What do you mean by that? Modern AI systems based on deep learning and reinforcement learning are performing extremely well in many tasks. Unfortunately, they are lacking the ability to rationalize how they make decisions. It's because they are probabilistic system and they take in data, they process that, they crumble that, they understand it in some way, they call it an internal representation, that doesn't really make sense to humans when we inspect that. If it's a picture that I'm teaching a computer to learn, they can take it in, analyze it, put various filters on that, and perhaps output a prediction about it that perhaps it contains a human or a house. But we really don't know what it was exactly that the computer saw in that picture that enabled it to detect that. We just know that it works. So we know the inputs, we know the outputs, we don't really understand what's happening in between. Lots of people in this community are working on this exact problem, establishing a mathematical foundation that helps us understand it. But in the meantime, when a computer makes a particular decision, I cannot go and point at the particular line of code or a particular input that led to that decision being made. This is really limiting for industries that require that level of explainability in healthcare. It's a barrier to using AI for diagnostics. You can use it for other things, but you're going to decide uh, on somebody's treatment based on that. You better be able to answer in a way that is understood by humans why the computer thinks that is a tumor or not a tumor. As with all emerging technologies, it's unclear what the impact will be. But we asked some of the researchers we met about their hope for the technology, and their answers were broad and potentially magical. Hi, I'm Nidhi Hegde. I'm a research team lead at the Borealis AI Lab in Edmonton, and my team is focused on research on privacy. So a lot of the magic that people talk about in regards to AI is about convenience, right? Like when you come home, you want the home to know that you're coming home and the temperature is the right temperature, the lights are on where you want them to be, you know, all of that. People talk about that when they think magic, like it's convenience. But for me, it's a lot of things that we don't know, and especially healthcare, that's a good topic because there's a lot there that's extractable. There's a lot of potential there that we haven't yet captured. For instance, you know, this is close to me because this affects my family is diabetes. 
We know a lot in North America about diabetes on people of Western European origin, but I'm from an Indian origin, and diabetes works very differently. The signs are very different. The onset is different, and that's something that a large set of data could help identify that we don't know. So for me, it's things like this that are magic, not things that we notice. You know, like the store, I can just pick things up at the store and walk out and everything's been paid for. You know, that's great, that's convenience. But for me, it's all of these little things that really matter that are more magical than convenience. And here's Leila Al-Asri of Microsoft Research. She sees that ability of AI to personalize solutions as the most fundamental promise of its future. One thing that we haven't been great at is personalization. And one thing that we can do with AI is bring more personalization in domains like healthcare, for instance, and really come up with treatment that is targeted to certain people that are more efficient for these people. So this is something I see and I see is very promising in the future is going to be how do we build solutions that are more targeted and that are just not one-size-fit-all kind of solutions, but more targeted so that they fit people individually better. So this is one thing. And then there's going to be a lot of progress in transportation and healthcare and education. That's also another sector where personalization is important if you can have tools for people so that they can all learn at their own pace. I really believe in that because this is how actually how I started doing AI. It was to make personalization software for children with dyslexia. And we were building exercises that trained those children to read better and we were adjusting the difficulty of the exercises based on the child that was using the software. Here's Jean-Francois Gagné of Montreal's Element AI, a leading software firm in the space. There's a difference between being transparent and being innovative and and then here's where my brain's going, like I'm thinking of move fast and, and break things, yeah. that kind of spirit that is often associated with, with innovation. I think what we need to not forget is why do businesses exist? It's for your customers. And if you're proactive at managing the expectations of your customer the right way, and you're transparent about how you go at managing these expectations and what you do and what you do not do in terms of governance, of that technology, I think it's fine that you're making mistakes. I think the point here is you get to manage the contract you have with your customers. And it's not because you do AI and it's harder and it's more abstract that you should give up on engaging and having that open conversation with your customers. So Fotini, we've just heard from some impressive researchers about personalization, education, healthcare, and a lot of excitement about the future. How realistic should we be about the potential of AI to deliver transformation in those areas in the years ahead? There are so many areas, John, that I'm hopeful about. I'm really excited about the ability to autonomously drive vehicles. I'm one of those nervous people in vehicles when I can't sit still in a backseat either. I don't want humans to be driving a car. I just I can't put that trust there. I trust machines much more to make such decisions. Is that because our record at driving collectively is so bad? Yeah. I mean, it's extraordinary how many thousands of people a year die on the roads and highways of North America because of human error. 
Yes, it's because we are independent, intelligent agents on the road, each acting completely autonomously without the same logic in the background. Just imagine if you could replace all that with an intelligence that makes consistent decisions in every single car. It would be just a, a symphony of machines sharing the same road, acting the exact same way. We would all be safe at the same time. I'm also really hopeful for applications in the healthcare sector. And the point upon personalization, I think there is extremely important. If you're diagnosed with cancer today, you're going to get a line of treatment that is the same for anyone out there. And if you relapse, you're going to get a second line of treatment that is, again, the same for any patient in any place under any conditions. And there's not really a lot of consideration about your specific needs. And sometimes you'll react well to it, sometimes you'll react poorly to it, and then something else will be tried blindly again without us knowing ahead of time or having some sort of prediction of how you would react. So it's uh, personalizing that process, identifying the right drug for the right person based on a number of measurements about patients is extremely important. And if you think about it, isn't it a shame that Netflix recommends a movie for you to watch and that is the state of the art in recommendation machines, but we don't apply that in healthcare. What will it take? Having a community that just obsesses about applying this to that particular problem. You got to get people's attention to what's important here. And how much of the onus should be on the individual, the consumer? I think the onus is on the companies, the countries and the regulators that bring these technologies to consumers. How consumers can help is by being involved. First of all, accepting that AI, it's not going to make its way into our lives. It's already part of our lives. And it's powering most of the systems we use right now. So accepting that and then being involved, questioning how decisions are made, I think that really helps bring to light biases that perhaps we weren't aware of before. So just being alert as you're using these technologies, flag them and push your uh, constituents, push the companies that you buy from to hold really high standards for how they service you. So Fortini, you mentioned a symphony of machines. Who should conduct the symphony? The premise here will be that there doesn't need to be a conductor after these machines are released. You need oversight, you need a process and transparency in how those are released as a first step. But once they're out there and they're approved for use, it really doesn't need any orchestration. Fotini, thanks for being part of RBC Disruptors. Thank you. It doesn't help that the development of AI is dominated by nine companies in the US and China, but the opportunities and benefits are immense if we can figure it out and if we can all participate a bit more in AI's development. One way would be to look beyond the areas that have dominated AI to date, advertising and gaming, for instance. Think about healthcare or climate action or transportation. All these problems that confound us at every turn in our lives, AI can help us solve those. It's our responsibility to all be involved in those conversations. We should ask how AI is being used. The dumb questions are sometimes the smartest ones, so keep asking them. If we do that, AI can be what Fotini called 
and I love this expression, a symphony of machines. And maybe the masterpiece will be a safer, healthier, and more prosperous society. I'm John Stackhouse. Thanks for listening to RBC Disruptors. This episode was produced by Stuart Cox and edited at Boombox Sound in Toronto. You can reach us at rbcdisruptors at rbc.com and join the conversation using the hashtag RBC Disruptors. Thanks for listening. 